0: East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the air. Joining you now, your editor-in-chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz.
1: Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Happy Independence Day weekend. Later, a look at the Ingham County Commissioner's race on the east side of Lansing. Also, we'll look at tattooing in the age of COVID-19. And, of course, our weekly walk on Michigan's musical memory lane with Rich Tupica. But first, as I do every week, let's bring in MSU political scientist Matt Grossman to see what's new in the 2020 presidential
2: campaign. Well, uh, what developments in the last week uh, are on your radar?
3: Well, in the presidential race, Biden is still coasting uh, for the moment, uh, even uh, looking close in states like Missouri and Kansas, so that shouldn't be close at all. Uh, and uh, the long-term outlook really depends on the facts on the ground. Uh, we saw the coronavirus roar back uh, this week, and we saw policymaking to respond to it uh, pretty
2: much still at a standstill. Uh The New York Times on Friday used the uh, word humiliation as a possibility for Donald Trump uh, in November. What do you think?
3: Well, we're still a polarized nation where it's very unlikely that people who've been voting Republican for uh, many elections in a row uh, will suddenly switch. uh, And the same is true on the other side. So don't expect a a big blowout uh, to materialize in the end um but if the election were held today we we are looking at uh, a sweep of the of the clean of the swing states by Biden
2: well so what are the factors today that you think uh, could change uh, uh, in a major way that uh, Trump might be able to recover uh, the economy uh, i suppose is one
3: yeah, and one of the interesting uh, pieces is that Democrats are, are quite willing to go along with economic stimulus uh, funding uh, that would really help the president's reelection. Uh, that is, normally it's the party of the president who, in the uh, election year leading up to the election, wants to give out uh, goodies and wants to um, uh, try to uh, make a show of solving problems so that uh, they can get reelected. Uh, and it's right on the table uh, for Republicans in, in Washington uh, who wanted to uh, benefit themselves, but uh, so far uh, they are not taking
2: it. Uh, the uh, president uh, has not done what uh, presidents typically do after they get elected, and uh, spend their time trying to bring uh, people who were uh, voted against them into the fold. Uh, Trump uh, certainly doesn't seem to be caring about any of those people as things get closer. Uh, one example was the, the tweeting uh, something that included a shout of uh, uh, white, supremac- uh, white supremacists. Uh, he did delete the tweet. Uh, but uh, do you see Trump in any way trying to reach anybody other than his hardcore base?
3: Well, the only other constituency that I think you could say he's he made an effort to reach is just uh, traditional Republicans who may have feared that he wouldn't agree with the party's positions on economic policy um, or on social issues or judges. Um, and so there there is a small constituency of people who didn't vote for uh, Donald Trump in uh, 2016 who are planning to vote for him this time. And it's mostly people who, who 2016 was an aberration and they're normally... Uh, Republicans. Um, But yeah, it's certainly uh, still a base campaign. Um, One of the the things that I've been waiting for is uh, some kind of change in in strategy or shake up in the campaign. It really wouldn't take much uh, for the press to declare uh, a pivot. Um, really, if he just stopped tweeting uh, like he did in the last month of the campaign where he gave over his Twitter account uh, to uh, the, the campaign opera, operation, and it was fairly clear uh, from the from the messages that went out from it. If he just did that, that would be enough for the media to declare, okay, it's a new day. Uh, Donald Trump really wants to win this thing. Um, but he can't even do that, uh, at least so far.
2: Uh- He's now brought up the comparison of himself to Richard Nixon by trying to be the law and order candidate, as, and, and talking about the silent majority, uh, both uh, platforms, uh, so to speak, that uh, Nixon ran on. But uh, historically, is there any real comparison between Nixon and and Trump, other than? Didn't didn't Nixon have other uh, programs and platforms that mitigated his appeal to the right?
3: Well, he he did. He of course had uh, experience in, um an administration that people remembered uh, fondly. Uh, he uh, wasn't uh, threatening to, to completely uh, tear down uh, the. Uh, ongoing social programs um, but but there are at least some similarities i think it 's just that they they can 't really uh, handle it so for example you know there there is an opening um, on tearing down statues that uh, that are not um, associated with the Confederacy, like happened at the Wisconsin state Capitol. Uh, there's an opening when you see uh, looting uh, in associated with protests, but for that to work, um, you know, you have to appear to be the sensible party
4: um, no. that,
3: <laughs> that is uh, uh, in contrast uh, to the, to the craziness on the other side. And, and Donald Trump just can't handle that uh, demeanor. He, he wants to, uh, you know, appeal appeal to his side and, and be just as crazy on the other side, and, and that that doesn't usually make uh, voters think the other side is the extremists.
2: Uh, you're listening to City Pulse here on how The Impact. Uh, we're talking to MSU political scientist Matt Grossman about the. 2020 presidential campaign, as we do uh, every week. Matt, a theme you've uh, hit on, I thought we could uh, explore a little bit more, is uh, that uh, Trump is and no doubt will continue to keep trying to paint uh, uh, Joe Biden as uh, left-wing. How left-wing is Joe Biden? Well, Joe Biden in
3: uh, policy positions um, by uh, kind of historical measures is uh, pretty uh, far to the left. That is, he's introduced policy proposals uh, that uh, ask for more government intervention uh, in the economy than Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. Uh, He hasn't really tried to uh, go to the right on any major um, policy uh, positions. And, you know, historically, he's been in the mainstream of the Democratic Party and the mainstream of the Democratic Party is moving uh, leftward uh, and Joe Biden is going along with them. The ace in the hole, though, for Joe Biden is he's still perceived as a moderate, um, and that was only helped by the uh, 2016 uh, primary campaign uh, and doesn't seem to be changing now. So uh, it's going to be hard to paint uh, Joe Biden as a socialist, um, though Republicans will certainly try.
2: It's interesting to uh, see in Pennsylvania, Trump is hurting, but Biden is not surging. You know, of course, you know, all politics are local, but uh, do you see anything uh, bigger, a bigger theme emerging uh, from Biden's inability in his, the state he was born in to capitalize more?
3: Well, we don't usually see home state effects that are, you know, based on, long time ago, and um, it, it's hard to hard to count on much from that. Um, the interesting thing about Pennsylvania is it wasn't a surprise. This is not like Wisconsin and Michigan uh, where the campaigns didn't put focus there until the very end in 2016. Uh, Pennsylvania was one of the top states uh, in terms of advertising in terms of candidate visits from the beginning on both sides in 2016. So it was the one state that everybody knew was going to be. A decider and turned out to be uh, in 2016. So um, it's it's not a surprise that it's a likely uh, tipping point uh, state uh, this year. It's just maybe getting a little bit less attention as people uh, look at states like Arizona, North Carolina, um, that you know weren't typically um, in the in the tipping point area. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I expect it to still be close um, until the end, um, and it is uh, a state where uh, the Democratic and Republican parties both have a core uh, voting base that you believe is, is going to come out, um, and in 2018 what happened is that the Democrats won uh, all of these uh, richer suburban areas that they don't usually win. So the question will be if they, if they can keep that going uh, and maintain their, their current coalition.
2: Uh, Finally, uh, Matt, uh, the Senate appears to be in play. Any developments in the last week?
3: I didn't hear that. Sorry. Uh,
2: The Senate appears to be in play. Uh, Any developments in the last week?
3: Uh, Yes. uh, First of all, the uh, Democratic uh, Campaign Committee uh, continues to intervene in primaries and win. Uh, it uh, intervened on behalf of Hickenlooper. Um, it intervened in, in Kentucky in a harder to, to win race. Um, so the party is really willing to step uh, into these primary races. Uh, go for the candidate that it thinks has the best chance of of winning the general election. Uh, And in Colorado, that certainly seems to be uh, paying off where they're kind of have their most likely pickup opportunity against Gardner. Uh, There's also a chance in Montana uh, where uh, the Democrats uh, convinced a former uh, governor to to run. So uh, the Democrats are in pretty good shape uh, in the, in the Senate. And part of it is because uh, the party is able to kind of pick out, Uh, these nominees that it thinks are are better for those states.
2: Matt Grossman, enjoy the rest of your 4th of July weekend, and we'll talk to you next week here on City Pulse. Thank you.
1: This is City Pulse on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. The 2020 primary election is just a month away on August 4th. Democratic voters on Lansing's east side will decide whether to back Thomas Morgan for re-election replace him after just one term with Bob Pena, who lost the nomination to Morgan two years ago. The winner will face a Republican in November, but uh, given how heavily Democratic the 10th commission district is, winning the Democratic nomination is tantamount to winning the election in the fall. Kyle Kaminsky reports.
5: I'll leave you the floor to start here. Um, you know, why do you want to continue to be uh, an Ingham County commissioner?
0: Sure, well, in two years, I think I've been pretty productive, um, getting a lot of things accomplished on behalf of residents. Um, and everything I've done is, is through the lens of, of, of two considerations. First off is helping people who need help. Uh, and second is, uh, reforming government and increasing transparency. So with, with those two things in mind, um, You know, I I co-wrote the county's new health services millage, which just passed uh, back in March, and that expanded the existing millage to include mental health. Uh, I wrote the new senior services millage, uh, which is on the August ballot. And uh, if that passes, and I hope it does, that will help eliminate long waiting lists for Meals on Wheels, Home Health Care, things like that. Uh, I've worked to stop a a, a scheme to privatize health care at the county jail, Uh, which would have turned over healthcare for inmates to uh, a a for-profit company with a very shoddy record of patient care. Mm -hmm. Uh, I rewrote the county's ethics policy uh, to ban the the use of uh, private email accounts for uh, government business. Um, It also includes uh, increased transparency measures to hold elected officials more accountable. I've been able to get a lot of things done, um, but there's still a lot more to do. And so I'm asking voters to return me for another two years so we can keep up the momentum. Um, we've had uh, a lot of change on the county board with the new group of, of folks coming in that were elected in 2018. Uh, Darrell Slaughter, for example, is just a rock star. You know, I've been very supportive of his efforts. Ryan Siebold has some. He's a couple years, uh, been on the board a couple years longer, but, you know, he's done some great things. Chris Truback, uh, Mark Polsdoper. So we have this this new group of younger uh, liberal members uh, who have shaken up the status quo and have attempted to to recast county government to make it work better for everyday people. And uh, it's really exciting, actually, and and, uh, I'm proud to be part of it. I'm hoping to continue the work.
3: So,
5: so, you know, I guess uh, it has been has serving on the county commission been everything that you thought it was going to be heading into this uh, for your first term? I mean, what's been the biggest takeaway for you after serving in this role for for a couple of years here? Uh,
0: it's been great. You know, I, I had some people warn me that it'll be difficult to get things done because uh, there will be some people who say, you know, this isn't the way we do it, and. I haven't found that as much, and if I have found uh, resistance to change, uh, we've been able to overcome it by uh, forming coalitions and helping to push positive change on the county board. So, you know, I have some great colleagues, and uh, we've been able to to get a lot done. So if it wasn't for all the things we're doing, uh, it wouldn't be as fun of a job, but it is pretty fun because we are really able to make a difference uh, in ways that... That often don't get a lot of attention but still tangible ways that to help people um, improve their lives you know people ask me all the time doing doors you know what does a county commissioner do and uh it, it, it's the simplest explanation is we help people um or we support the programs that help people so things like meals on wheels is is done through county grant uh, the county health department helps people who who can't afford uh, to have a private health care practitioner or don't have insurance. Uh, the Ingham Health Plan is an example of something that provides basic health care services to people who don't have coverage. Uh, there are so many things that the county does that don't get a lot of attention, but are absolutely critical to people's day-to-day lives, particularly people in need, um, and it helps them. And that makes me, you know, that makes me proud to be part of that. Um, growing up, I, I grew up with next to nothing uh, as one of five kids. And my dad worked in a factory, and my mom uh, was a waitress for a while, and then a stay at home mom. And uh, I relied on a lot of um, support, you know, public sector support uh, to get where I am. And to be able to serve on the county commission and help protect and expand those programs made um, maybe the same types of things that I relied upon once upon a time. Uh, It gives me a good feeling to be able to help people like that. So uh, I'm having a really good time, and I'm hoping to to keep it up.
5: So I guess getting to the main course here, I'll I'll leave you the floor to start. Why do you want to be a county commissioner?
6: Well, I do believe that I have some skills that can hone down and uh, focus on developing some streamlining. Uh, A lot of times in government, you have duplications of efforts, Mm -hmm. I think i you know, been working long enough on, in government as a uh, as an employee that I I've got some idea on how to do some of that at least in transportation. I think I have something to offer, and I'm I'm in tune with the community. Also, I do I do a lot of extracurricular things like the Lance. I'm a bicycle advocate, a member of the Tri County Bicycle Association, and the bike co-op on Kalamazoo Street, which is which is uh, an organization to try to get bikes into the hands of people that are maybe not able to have transportation otherwise, you know, so a bike can can be instrumental in really helping somebody get around and helping with their lives. So I want to do good for the community.
5: Gotcha. So I guess name uh, your three biggest priorities headed into office if you're elected to this position. Are are there any uh, focus areas that you really want to – make sure are paid attention to? Um,
6: yeah, uh, one of them would be uh, food access to everybody. You know, there's, a, there's that's what I'm on that committee. There's a lot of people here in this area that, I mean, it, Michigan is an agricultural state and still, we're having problems getting good quality food to the people that are struggling economically. Not just in the rural areas, but in the urban areas too. Yeah, um so food food pipeline access is important.
3: Okay.
6: Uh, county people work with programs that help in that. Housing, that was one of the reasons I was in Habitat for Humanity. I, you know, I know how to pound a nail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing about Habitat is that, you know, you, you don't just build a house, but you work with the people that are going to end up in the house. They have to do like 500 hours of volunteer time, along with the other people that are volunteering. Mm-hmm. So, you know... working together with community and other people getting people to function together, so housing, food Mm -hmm. road, road access and and, you know it's my specialty, it's my strong suit, it's my strong card but it's like, if you don't have a good infrastructure, you can't get food from California to Myers the lettuce doesn't get there Mm -hmm. you know, people that gotta go to the hospital if you have a bad road, you can't get medical access Uh, people, kids going to school uh, you need a good system so that you can, the parents can drive or the school buses can get from the houses to the schools. So infrastructure is important.
5: It's like the mortar between the bricks, I guess, to tie it all together. Yes. It makes sense.
6: It actually, it's for everything, really, when you think about it. I mean, we, we get food, we get medical services, we get whatever, uh, the fire department, the police department. I mean, what, what would that be if we didn't have a road system, right? Sure. Yeah.
5: So. The primary role of a county commissioner is to create a policy and develop priorities. Would you agree with that sentiment, or do you uh,
6: do I this would. further? You know what? It's it's, it's um, dynamic. It's something that has to be reviewed constantly. I mean, if you were just going to write the rules and walk away, you wouldn't need a commission, right? Okay. So things change in society. Uh, needs change. COVID, perfect example. Mm-hmm. You know, so that wasn't around before, but. Uh, Construction procedures have changed since that. The the people that are working at the project, uh, the Red Cedar project, those are construction workers and they're working outside, right? You wouldn't think much of it. Mm -hmm. But think about this. When they they have to cross the gate, they got to get checked. They're screened daily for temperature. That was done at the hospital. So these are policies that were enacted just for COVID. Mm -hmm. So that's the job of the the real job of the commissioners, like what, what is? We have
0: you have a base of rules, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes things happen in society where you have to adjust, and that's
1: the that's the function of the commission board. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle will have more on this race Wednesday in City Pulse's primary election edition. You're listening to City Pulse on 89 FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. One of the last segments of the economy to reopen has been uh, personal services such as tattooing. City Pulse Arts Editor, Skyler Ashley, talks to Sean Peter, Peters, owner of the Eclectic Art Tattoo Gallery in Lansing. Peters discusses with Skylar the new precautions his shop is
2: taking in the face of the coronavirus. What were some of the challenges that Eclectic face in terms of staying afloat
3: during the pandemic Did you have to lay any employees off? If so, how many?
0: Um, Just how did you guys keep it together?
3: Uh, Well, Eclectic
4: Works as I don't necessarily have employees. I have uh, independent contractors that that pay a percentage to work at the shop. So there wasn't any kind of like layoff like that, which kind of screwed us when we were trying to get any kind of small business loans. You know what I mean? Because um, some of the first questions they'd say is, There're 500 people or less at your small business. All that money kind of went to bigger businesses, not really the small ones, you know. So, for what we did was we did uh, some raffles to uh, just keep everything afloat, you know. My landlord's been really cool about we'll work, we'll figure it out and work it out, you know. So on that end, I've been really lucky, um, but you know, really just trying to get through it pay what we can and keep things afloat, you know. Um, challenges as far as opening were, um, you said to have certain protocols in place, um, a COVID response plan in place. Um, obviously more uh, personal protection equipment, you know, we not, we have to wear masks and aprons and eyewear um, to cover our eyes. Um, you know, we check, 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 people's, uh, temperatures now before they come in, and it's been challenging, hand, t- hand sanitizer, everywhere. Anymore, but I think we're doing good. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, what is the conversation, like, um, industry-wide in response to this pandemic? Have you connected with other shops over how to handle oh, yeah. the, uh, mask? Oh,
4: yeah, there's been, uh, a few things, our friends, um, Gary Mortal, who used to uh, open the or ran this shop with me, he uh, started this thing called uh, Tattooing Beyond COVID. And it's just been kind of like a share space for other artists to say, hey, this is what's going on with us. This is where you can find these masks. This is where you can, you know, find this training. So there's been a definitely communal thing about, like, how oh, let's do what we can to help each other, you know, reopen. Because, um, you know, we were we were pretty much like one of the last to close and one of the last to open. So, <laughs> mm. and with everything else, you know, there's so many other gatherings they're more concerned about. You kind of got to know where to find what they want. That makes any sense? Having people in your corner who are you know willing to share the information has been priceless. You know,
0: what capacity is eclectic
3: operating at right now?
4: Uh, we're, we're, we haven't really changed our capacity because we, um, one of the things they changed is that your studio has to be by appointment only. Um, no extra people hanging out kind of thing. Um, no you know, hanging out in the lobbies or anything like that. Like They pretty much want you to, once they answer the door, they pretty much come back and get their procedure done. Well, eclectic, that's kind of how we already worked, you know what I mean? So we are, we already keep our doors locked and, you know, a person comes in for the artist, and that's it. You know. So aside from the PPAE stuff and just you know, more clean cycles, not much for us really has changed. You mm-hmm. um, know, well, now you got to be aware of a bloodborne or an airborne virus. You know.
2: But um, how important is safety and responsibility in the tattoo culture slash industry?
4: It's it's the like. I mean, that's the one thing we all kind of hold sacred is that we're not, you know, just scratchers. We all, you know, follow guidelines and pay licensing and, you know, care about uh, the safety of our clients,
1: you know. And that about does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend for City Pulse and Burl Schwartz.